Welcome to Thrive Deeper, the podcast based on the Thrive Bible Reading Guide. This is the ongoing conversation about God's Word with Thrive's author, Dr. Matthew Jacoby, and your host, DJ Payne. G'day and welcome to episode 62 of Thrive Deeper. It's your humble host and fellow traveller through the Word of God, DJ Payne here. And on this week's episode, I sit down with Matthew Jacoby yet again. And I'm very excited because we have got a new edition of Thrive, the Daily Reading Guide. Hopefully you've got a copy of that. We've got a brand new, beautiful little aqua, greeny type of design color. I don't know. I'm not good with my colors. But uh, this is exciting because we're about to start in a brand new book. This week we're kicking off Hebrews, the book of Hebrews. Now I've got a, I've got a confession to make about this book. Something that uh, some people have uh, found very troublesome when I come to talking about the book of Hebrews, but I don't want to spoil it now. I'll let Matthew and I talk about it in just a moment, but I know you're going to get a lot out of this one. So grab your Thrive, grab your Bible, pen and a paper, and let's join Matt and I as we're talking about the book of Hebrews. Matt, we've got some more reviews coming in. Oh, more? More, more reviews. Nice. We've, we've had some people contact us and let us know, uh, you know, that they're giving us ratings in iTunes, which is a great way for us to get more exposure on that platform. It's still the biggest way that people listen to podcasts. So if you head over to Apple Music, Apple Podcasts, and give us a review, rate us five stars, that goes a long way. But because we've got a Facebook page and a Facebook group, mm. Thrive Today, and uh, Thrive Deeper. On the Facebook page, you can leave a review of the, mm. on the Facebook page. Wow. There's more ways for people to – what did you say last last time? They were uh, – a couple of weeks ago you said they were, you know, crit- criticising us, rating us or reviewing uh, I don't, I'm not sure what I said. But, you know, I, do we sound really insecure right now? I'm not sure if we <laughs> – it's actually uh, – it's, it's nice to have feedback. Yes, that's the best that's way the, to put uh, it. Feedback and encouragement is good. And uh, even things that we're not covering that you think we should cover or whatever, we're open to suggestions. Love it. Love it. So on that tip, on our Thrive Today Facebook page, which can be found at facebook.com forward slash Thrive Today page, if you just search search for that in in Facebook, you'll find us. Raf K, good old Raf, great, great listener to the podcast, said, I love the teachings it's well-versed and grounded in biblical, scriptural principles. Great forum to share knowledge and flag ideas. That's Thank you, great. Raf. Thank yeah. you very much for that. Great. So we appreciate that. So, of course, when you're over there in the Thrive Today page, we, we, we do have a Thrive Deeper group specifically for discussion on this podcast and the episodes there. So feel free to join that. It's a closed one. Uh, you have to apply to be, uh, you know, be in there. And we love the discussion that goes on there. All right. Now, moving on. Mm. Matt, we have put the Gospel of Matthew behind us as far well, as... in a sense. <laughs> in the sense of this podcast mm. and what we're, what we're going through. We have through. fully appropriated the Gospel of Matthew. Well, Matt, I wouldn't agree with yeah, that. Possibly not fully appropriated. <laughs> I wouldn't agree with that one either, but... Uh, but we have spent the last, uh, you know, number of episodes really labouring through that book, and what an amazing introduction yeah. to uh, the ministry of Christ. The person is on the back of the Old Testament, yeah, and thinking in that, that Jewish way. Matthew, being a Jewish, you mm. know, a, apostle, you know, a tax collector himself, yeah. he really was able to quote so much of the Old Testament in the book of Matthew. Yeah. And 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 tie Jesus's ministry yeah. into what all the yeah. prophecies were pointing That's right. at. Now, yeah. starting today, we get into Hebrews. Yeah, and the appropriateness of that of the connection between Matthew and Hebrews yeah. has only just recently struck me. As actually, as I was going through, hang on a minute, you're meaning to say that your work in Thrive here was just a bit haphazard? Which one <clears throat> book came next? Well, it's not. I mean, we, we you know we try to work through the New Testament fairly consecutively. And of course, we go with the Thrive readings. We go one New Testament book, two Old Testament, so mm. we get through it all. Um, but yeah, the going from Matthew to the Hebrews uh, oh. part was fairly accidental in one sense in that, but it's enormously appropriate because oh. uh, Hebrews is doing very, very similar things to the Gospel of Matthew. Well, the name of the book 
is to the Hebrews, yeah, the right. Jewish yeah. people. And it is such a wonderful follow-on, I'm finding, mm. in, in studying Matthew mm. after the Old Testament yeah. and now coming into the book of Hebrews and yeah. seeing Jesus even more fulfilling. Yeah, we've got good preparation. Yeah. You, you, am I, have I got this right? You said to me once that this is your favourite, <laughs> one of your favourite books of the Bible. Is that right? Am I allowed to have favourites? Is that theologically? Oh, look, I, I think I think you can. I I, I why why is that? I mean, because I think in talking to people, a lot of people really struggle with this book because of the complexity, yeah, uh, and because a lot of the imagery is a little foreign, perhaps. What what is it about I, this book okay, that well, you yeah, have loved so much? I, I, well, thank you. I, I don't yeah. often get a question on this yeah, podcast, yeah. <laughs> let alone one from Matt Jacoby. I feel very honoured today. Um, but now you've caught me. Yeah, this is my favourite book of the Bible. I. Love this book, and I actually I actually did a poll on online recently. I had guessed my favorite book of the Bible, and no, and right. you know, I did some yeah. options. No one guessed Hebrews, mm. and uh, and I've gone out there a few times and actually said publicly, "This is my favorite book of the Bible," yeah. and people look at me like, "What is wrong mm. with you?" Mm. <laughs> you know, what's isn't Psalms or Proverbs good enough for you? What's wrong? And I'm like, "No, nah, look." I think what got me, you know, again, let's go back a little bit of not boring people too much. I grew up in a very Bible-centric church, mm. okay? I'm very thankful for that. Mm. There was a lot of problems in in that mm. as well, you know, because mm. you really, you know, growing up for me, the Trinity was God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Scriptures, you yeah. know, type of thing. And But the positive, as, as I've matured and as God has brought me along, the positive side of that is I can see the richness of what was sown into my heart. And, and, mm. and the Spirit has been able to take a lot of that and, and, and use it in my life, which I'm so thankful for. I remember very young a preacher getting up and, and giving an introduction to the book of Hebrews. And as a Bible young nerd, you know, mm. interested in it, I almost approach, approached the Bible back then like a comic book nerd would approach yeah, comic yeah. books. They said, they said, now listen, we don't know who wrote the book of Hebrews. Right there, I went, what, what, what? Like there's a mystery? <laughs> like, and, and that nerd part of me and, you know, seeing different people argue for different authorship of Hebrews yeah. over the years has been fascinating to me. Mm. But as a young man going through it, I, I'll never <clears> forget <throat> one particular deeply, and we don't often talk about this on the podcast, mm. our, you know, the, the experiential part mm -hmm. of the Christian faith. Mm -hmm. You know, because that's not what this podcast is sort of about in one sense. It's mm. about going deeper in the word. Yeah. Well, hopefully it leads to that. That's yeah. exactly right. Mm. I remember a bus trip between back when I would take the bus between, believe it or not, Geelong mm. to the Gold Coast. Wow. Uh, back when I, you know, and I was a young man in the in, in the mid-90s and I was on this very long, long bus trip. And I spent most of that bus trip going through the book of Hebrews, reading wow. it again and again yeah, and again. Yeah. And I had the most overwhelming spiritual experience. Yeah. You know, some people yeah. talk about spiritual, and again, awesome. it's, it's on yeah. a bus, on a yeah. Firefox yeah. bus, yeah. Firefly box, <laughs> Firefly yeah. bus. Uh, you know, if anybody's ever travelled on buses in Australia, you know, yeah. the dodgy Firefly yeah. buses, you on the mm. Firefly bus up to there, I'm sitting there looking out the window and it was just this deep realisation of what Jesus actually mm. did for me mm. and right. my place in God's Word. And... It's, it is a deep book. It's yeah. hard. It, that was – I had two experiences. I had this deep personal, you know, realisation with the first half of the book, yeah. like positionally, yeah. you know, to use a yeah. daggy word. And then the second half of the book or the closing part of the book, when it talks about faith, I, it was like my eyes were opened, yeah. what real biblical faith was about, wow. what God Great. was wanting me to, yeah. to, to be Great. in life. It's been a challenge yeah. to walk up to this, but every time I come to the back to the book of Hebrews, it's like coming back to a touchstone of like, yeah. here's that holy ground that I experienced yeah. God in, you know. So it's very rich uh, for that's me, great. and I love it. That's great. It's like a, you know, when I I, I love watching movie review shows, and and <laughs> when a movie gets a great view, I want to. I wanna, Really see that movie? You just did that. You just like great. Let's get into this book. <laughs> uh, well, I, I I love it. So let's start yeah. at the beginning here. And it, it, it is. I'll have to say that it, you know. I mean, and we've alluded to this. Uh, I, I have been struck as I've gone through this book how it is complex. It, there is complexity oh. uh, in this book, and yet at the same time, it deals with the fundamentals of the faith. This is mm. the beauty of this book. It really deals with the core yeah. fundamentals of the Christian faith. I, I, if I, if, if you know, God, God willing, one day I get to write some sort of curriculum of mm. a discipleship program or yeah. something like that. Something yeah. I've always wanted to do. Yeah. 
Hebrews, I think yeah. it might be built around the book of Hebrews. Yeah. You know, I, I think it is so fundamental. So let's start with yeah. the controversy right at the beginning. Yeah. Who wrote the book? Yes, well, you you uh, alluded to that. We we don't really know uh, what what. The, I'll tell you what. Let's work from what we do know. know. Now we do know that uh, it was written within the apostolic circle um, because, for example, uh, Timothy is alluded to yes. in the book uh, as someone well known to to everyone at the time. Mm. Um, it has very strong apostolic themes. So, yes. so it's. I mean, th- there was a time when um, in the in, in the early church where they thought maybe it was, and when I say early, you know, around sort of after, let's say, fourth century. Yeah. Um, it, r- actually, right from the start, it was an anonymous uh, an anonymous book. Yes. Around the fourth century in the in the Western church, this idea of Pauline authorship uh, became popular. But it's written in such a different style, uh, and and it just doesn't look like Paul. However. There, there are really strong Pauline sort of yeah. themes. So, so um, and even you know, reading, and, and we're going to uh, in, in in a few weeks or I don't know how long we're going to get to a Peter. You know, there are also themes there in Peter. So, so it it sits very close within that apostolic yes. field. So it, this is this is real apostolic work. Not that it was necessarily written by an apostle, but, you know, that matters less because, like, for example, Mark wasn't an apostle and Luke wasn't an, an apostle. Yeah. But the the key with them is that they were shadowing the... Just, mm. They were sh- shadowing the original apostles. Yeah. And this appears to be the case with this book of Hebrews, whoever the author is. You know, he obviously didn't, whoever, he or she or whoever, did mm. not obviously think it was important Yes, uh, that, that that they be named. That's a great point. Um, but uh, th- nevertheless, the message um, is is important. Now it's interesting that um, that Clement, uh, one of the early sort of second generation from the apostles, yes, uh, actually quotes from the book of Hebrews already yeah. as an authority. So right from the start, this book was ascribed a, a, an important as place as yeah. scripture. Yeah. And it's partly because this is a book that sets sets up such important themes mm. in in the the bridge between the Old and the New Testament. Now we're going to say a whole lot about uh, more about that uh, in the moment because this is actually a key thing. I think that the Book of Hebrews does is talk about the relationship between the Old Covenant and New Covenant. Ma- uh, now, now we'll so. get to that. But that was an important question from the very beginning. This book was ascribed importance precisely because. It dealt with that relationship between Old and New Testaments. Yeah, really important question, and an important to, to the, the early, early church. church because the because early church, early was... church is mainly Jewish, you yes. know, Jewish believers who were saying, okay, so what about all of the temple stuff? Uh, and and of course, when the book of Hebrews was written, we'll move on to date. Hmm. Um, it it's written before the destruction of the temple. It clearly indicates uh, that the temple cult is still functioning. Yes. yes. Uh, it's also before the first significant wave of persecution. Mm. Um, so it talks, But there was there was a level of persecution. Yeah, there was. Going. That's right. Yeah. yeah. They were and this is part of the problem of the book is that there's enormous pressure on Jewish believers to turn back. Yes. Now that pressure is is not uh, like f- so much physical persecution in the s- in in the sense that would happen under Nero, yeah, more but it was heavy cultural, he- yeah, cultural. heavy cultural persecution. Yeah. We'll say more about that. Yeah. But but um, the writer, um, uh, it's one one commentary kept refer rather than the author referred to him as the pastor. Oh, I, wow. I love that. Yeah, that's cool. That that's idea. Very good. So I'm going to use that. So the yeah. pastor, uh, who, who the, the writer of Hebrews. Um, says at one stage, in your struggle against sin, and and the temptation he's talking about is the tendency to fall back, Mm. um, uh, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. So we're probably talking around uh, early 60s, 64 is when the persecution started under Nero. So we're probably just before that. Do you have, okay, now take off the scholar hat for a second. Matthew Jacoby, Mm. sitting there personally, do you have a feeling of who it who it is, or do you just basically go, <laughs> it doesn't matter, or do you have some sort you of love crazy? The mystery, I love yeah. I love the crazy <laughs> theories. Some of them, okay, so I'll put them out there. Some of the some of the ones, one of the most common ones is the Apostle Paul that it's written by the Apostle Paul yeah. in a very formal 
language. Mm-hmm. Like he's using a lot of formal language for yeah. this book compared to the Pauline epistles, which are a lot more everyday yeah. language and sort of like, you know, they, mm. they would call it vulgar, you know, you know the, the yeah. language that Paul would use in most of his epistles. Yeah. Not in the way that we think of yeah. vulgar, but like the everyday man, where this is, the Hebrews is written in a very high lofty sort of, yeah. you know, sort of style. They've put out their uh, um, uh, Barnabas, Apollos, uh, the husband and wife team who worked with Paul very closely mm. are, are often said that it, they could have been written under the tutelage of Paul, putting yeah. the teachings all together. I think if it was Paul, he, he would have, because it's missing the normal formula yeah. that Paul starts all of his writings with. The style is very different. There's a whole lot of, uh, yeah, there's just a lot of reasons for thinking it probably wasn't Paul. I, I actually like the Apollos option. Yeah. You know, Apollos was from Alexandria. Uh, Alexandria was a was a really strong centre of Jewish learning. Yeah, and in, very and very time. very high and intellectual. Way of thinking, yeah, yes. very intellectual. Uh, and so this book has a lot of flavours on it that mm. would suggest that um, perhaps Apollos is, is, is our man. But look at the end of the day, <laughs> we're not told <laughs> for a reason. Yeah, that's right. We're yeah. not told for a reason, so we got to <laughs> yeah. get past that. Yeah. All right. So thinking about, um, you know, we've we've touched briefly on it. You know, we we don't know who the author is. We're going to call him the pastor or her, yeah. the pastor or they, the pastor. Yeah. It could be it could have been a team <laughs> of people. Um, uh, we we've touched briefly on the name and talking about the early church. The audience is to the Hebrews. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's it's. Clearly, a Jewish audience. This doesn't discount that it was. Uh, I think it, it it could well have had a cyclical life. In in other words, it could have gone to a number of churches. But the key issue, that clearly, that the book is dealing with, is the the pressure upon Jewish readers to revert back. Now, I mean, this is it's maybe hard for us to get a grip on, but there was such a tight sense of community for, for Jewish people, mm. such a strong sense of continuity with the past, um, strong family bond. Very strong. Uh, and, you know, the, those who initially accepted this and, and had this work of God, you know, because this is what happens is that, you know, God does this work in you uh, and, and you sort of intellectually play catch-up, you know. It's like... Um, and, and I think this is what had happened is that they had encountered Christ. They had received the heavenly gift, as, yeah. as he goes on to say yeah. later. They'd been enlightened in this sense, this work of God right in their lives, bringing them to faith. Um, and, and so they've come to faith enthusiastically, but then then the resistance comes in. Then the imp- the implications and the cost. Even, even yeah, the in. cost comes down. Some of the hype fades away. The feelings drop away, and yeah. you go, "Oh, what have and, I done?" And they've and they're finding that even though it's undoubtedly a genuine work of God in their lives, it's putting them at odds with their family. They've they've got immense immense pressure from the Jewish community. And you, and you could say the same for today. If we, if we, I mean, we're very blessed. We live just an hour away from one of the, you know, biggest uh, Jewish communities outside of yeah. Israel and, and America yeah. in uh, in Melbourne, on yeah. the other side of Melbourne there. And uh, you spend some time over, over there with a lot of the traditional Jewish families that are living there. You realise how tight that yeah. th- 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 those family yeah, groups right. are. Yeah. So you could sort of see that as well. Well, obviously... I, Matt, I want to I want to throw throw this in there as well. I, you know, when it says to the Hebrews, yeah, this is, you know, you feel free to correct me here. Obviously, he's talking to talking to a group of people who are thoroughly, thoroughly yeah. versed in the Old Testament. Mm. They know the stories. They know mm. Moses. They know yeah. uh, Abraham. They know. All the all the traditions, yeah. everything like that. There, th- so the so the author is able to talk very shorthand. Doesn't have to explain a lot when he yeah. when he references he or she references yeah. different things. I, you know, and again, we don't believe in replacement theology that we've replaced mm-hmm. the Jews in any way as the church as Gentiles, but we are grafted in yeah. as as one church. With you know, and 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 that. So I come to this as someone who loves the Bible and mm. loves the story so much. This is like a letter written personally to me, mm. you know, type of yeah. thing. Is someone who who has invested so much of their life in studying the Old Testament and the Bible. When this author is talking to someone who knows the Bible, I I just so richly yeah. come at it from that. Yeah, I mean, if if I mean, I think the more familiar we are with the heritage, uh, 
the biblical heritage, the more we'll get out of this. And here's the thing, we should be uh, steeped in that biblical heritage because it's our heritage. Because as yeah. you said, we have been grafted in yeah. to this covenant community. Mm. Uh, n- not as second-class citizens of God's house, not no, but as full members of the covenant. Mm. And, um, and so the Abrahamic faith is our faith, mm. 100% yeah. our faith, you know. So for a shorthand for people who might be listening to us now going my goodness how am I going to keep how am I going to keep up with this there's a few touchstones that I think that are important to be familiar that we've already talked about in previous episodes yeah. over the last year but maybe it's time to go back and have a look at them as well you want to know the stories of Moses you want to know how mm-hmm. the how the, how the Jewish mind thinks about Moses yeah. you want to know what the covenant was what the Torah is yeah. what the yeah. laws were you want to know the stories of the Israelites in the desert yeah. you want to know those stories of you know um you know yeah, right. th- those Old Testament stories. You need to have yeah, them present in your it'd mind. It'd be difficult, wouldn't 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 it be if if you didn't yeah know those stories? This yeah. would be very difficult. And the last concept that I think you really need to have in your mind about all of this in a Jewish way of thinking is the priesthood. Yeah, what the priesthood actually was and what they stood for yeah. in their community. Yeah, that's right. Because these these are the themes that are going to come through, especially in the first half of the book. Yeah. So yeah, that's uh, right. we're not we're not going to go into those now. We don't have a lot of time, but I'm just saying maybe take a moment to to brush up on them. Yeah, or, or even along the way. I mean, this you know, hopefully this stimulates uh, yes. you to to go and do some research. So if if we talk about something, you know, the Israelites in the desert, and today if you hear his voice, you know, and you're thinking, what is that referring to? Well, go and uh, go and read up. Yeah. Well, and, more, and I, I would even say more so than any other book, and I think I heard someone recently say the same thing about talking about Hebrews. I can't remember who it was. If, you, if you've got the time and you've got a Bible that has the, the references to the Old Testament passages, when, yeah. the, when the author of Hebrews references, and there's a lot of references yeah. to the Old Testament, take a minute and read the passage where it's coming from. Not just the verse, Read the context yeah. because you'll go, oh, there's so much more meaning in here yeah. knowing the references where they came from. Yeah. Let me read the first verses of this because the first verses are absolutely magnificent. <laughs> they really are. Um, and, of course, we're not going to read every part of this book. We're going to talk through it. But these first verses are, are, are important. Now, I'm, I'm reading from the ESV and I've studied this in the ESV, the English Standard Version is good for, uh, if you want to get closer to the original text, ESV is a more literal uh, translation. Remember, you've got, that's, you've got the more dynamic translations, which are like the New Living uh, Translation. Um, and then you've got ones that sit in the middle, like the NIV. Um, this is a more literal translation, a little more difficult perhaps, because it doesn't help you much with the sense. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got to sort of work that out for yourself, but it's good for getting close to the text. So this is, this is what I'm working with. Um, And from verse 1 it says, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. He is, now get this, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Mm. Think about that. So think about, you know, when we look at the sun, we, you know, when we look at the sun, we don't actually, and I'm talking about the sun in the sky, S-U-N, mm. you know, we, we don't actually see the sun. What we see is the light from the sun. He's saying that's Jesus. It's like you see the radiance of God uh, in Jesus. Now, God is, uh, God is uh, in one sense, the... The God, man, Jesus does not exhaust who God is yeah. in his humanity, um, but he, sh- he is the radiance oh. of, of God's glory. It's a beautiful um, sense. And then the other one is the exact imprint of his nature. Think about a, like a wax stamp That's, yep. in, in wax, yep. uh, you know, where the stamp is yeah. the divinity and, yeah. and the imprint in that wax. It's yeah. the exact imprint. Yeah. It's a beautiful oh. uh, piece of imagery here. 
uh, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. So he 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 is the God. word. Yeah, he yeah. he is the divine word. Um, and it says after making purifications. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become, become as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Okay. So um, the the first thing that the writer of Hebrews wants to do, in fact, he's gonna, he wants to do this throughout uh, this book, mm-hmm. is he wants to explain how the new covenant is greater than the old covenant. So I'll just say a couple of things about this. That's great. The, 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 key, uh, the key issue um, here, as I said before, is the relationship between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And this is an interesting one, and we just need to think about this for a moment uh, to get a grip on this book. This isn't actually an issue that a lot of Christians don't quite grasp fully. What, what, it's, it's, this is an important question. Yeah. What relationship does the old covenant have to the new covenant? You know, some people... Uh, there are sort of two extremes here. You yes. get you get people that say, "Oh, I'm a New Testament Christian," and 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 not even bother about the Old Testament. Oh, that's oh. all gone. It's oh. all done away. Even it's as far as to say heart. the God of the Old Testament is not the God oh, of the New Testament. Even, oh. You know, that's that extreme. Uh, and then, uh, but but you can also go the other way. Yes, and and have this scenario where you get this situation where people almost want to go back to being Jewish. Like there's yeah. some. Uh, there's some this fascination with the Jewish ways of doing things, and yes. we're going to we're going to go back and and, and obey the laws from yeah, and, you know yeah, and 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 who steep themselves uh, in that. Um, well, uh, the the right the book of Hebrews deals uh, with the this uh, this issue. So a lot of Christians think about the Old Testament as predicting. So yeah, the, the Old Testament is predicting the New Testament. Now, the Old Testament does do this. So that's one way in which you can describe the relationship of the Old Testament to the New Testament. However, that really is inadequate on its own. Mm. Of course it does predict, Mm. but it does much more than that. It lays the whole groundwork. It actually, one way that you could put this, and, and this is very relevant to the book of Hebrews, is that the Old Testament doesn't just predict the New Testament, it actually prefigures the New Testament. Mm. Now, this is important for how uh, the writer of Hebrews uses scriptures, uh, proof texts here. Yes. Because they're not so much proof texts in the thing in the way that we would think of proof texts. This is one of the complexities, actually, of the book of Hebrews, yep. because he is quoting from Old Testament scriptures that are so obviously in their original context not talking about... Uh, not explicitly talking about Jesus. Yes. But uh, that's why we need to get away from this idea that the Old Testament predicts the New Testament. Or just proves. Yeah, or just proves. Yeah, yeah. This idea of prefigurement here is of all importance. Now, this this comes through explicitly in the way that he utilizes the Old Testament. It's mm. all about prefigurement, mm. you know. Uh, it, the, the Old Testament sets up these types of which Christ and the new covenant is the fulfilment of those types. Yeah. So you've got this type-antitype uh, relationship. Now, um, with the scriptures that he quotes from, therefore, in the writer, in the mind of the writer of Hebrews, therefore, everything in the Old Testament, even things that aren't explicitly referring to Jesus, are nevertheless related to Christ as a prefigurement. Yeah. Everything prefigures. So it might not be explicitly. Um, predicting Jesus, mm, mm, mm. but it certainly does prefigure. Now that is going to help you make sense of a lot of the quotes. For those people who are struggling right now with the definition of prefigure, yeah. how would you define that, Matt? Oh goodness me! Um, okay, so uh, it's it's like a patterning. Yep. It sets Perfect. a pattern. That's probably Perfect. the best way to put that. So, yep. uh, the, you know, so for example. He talks about the temple system. Yep. It prefigures, so it sets the pattern for how God deals with His people. Yep. It sets a pattern, and He wants people to to get that pattern established in their minds, so that when God comes in Jesus Christ to do this redemptive work, 
there's a framework yeah. within which that oh, can make sense. You've said it so well. I mean, really, uh, this uh, again, I'm gonna I'm gonna take your high high much better explanation of it and do the DJ dodgy version of it. <laughs> it's like coming in on a long series of movies, movies that have got six or seven or eight movies setting mm. it up. And you just say, oh, no, I just seen the last one. Yeah. Uh, that, that's that's right. where all yeah. the action happens at the end and I'd see who, who wins. I said last yeah. one, well, you don't know why the hero has to – you yeah. don't know what the person has been through or what the group yeah. of people. It's a bad analogy, I know, but in, in, yeah. in this sense, not knowing the Old Testament and some of these stories are really going to yeah. let you down. And it also echoes the fact of that time we have that beautiful story in the Gospels <clears> of, the, uh, of the resurrected Christ – Walking with you know, walking yeah. with some of the believers and explaining to them how Jesus is in every part of the yeah. Old Testament, how it all yeah. points to Jesus. We yeah. see this in the book of he- the writer of Hebrews yeah. sees the same thing. He's like, yeah. yes, this is it, um, and and that that is an element. But it the, the prefigurement thing and the setting the pattern is. Um, it's it's even more sophisticated yes. than that. Yes, just trying to think of a way. It's it's a little bit like, for example. Uh, you know, like the way that an that, that members of an orchestra might study sheet music, for example, and and they're going to study sheet music, and and you could leave it there, but actually the sheet music is is fulfilled in the Sound. in playing the piece. You know, I'm okay. not sure if that's the best. How about, how about, how about, throw another one at you. Let's okay. yeah. tossing analogies. I'm going to France. Yeah, I'm going to learn enough of the language to be able to conversationally order this okay. and order that. Yeah. So I know I can say oh, I know French to be able to talk this. But I don't really know French. I haven't really grown up speaking in the language and know the depths of the reference to some, to some of these words. <laughs> I'm not sure if this one's helping. <laughs> it's good. We're, we're going all down. I, we're getting worse. further away. Maybe maybe the map. You know, maybe the differences between studying the map and 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 the reality. I mean, it's that bigger difference. Like like the you know the 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 sort of figures of priesthood and sacrifice, all of these things in the Old Testament were like a theological map, mm. you know, mm. that that acquainted these people uh, with the sort of spiritual landscape. Yeah. Uh, I and, love it. And, and, but it, it was never meant to, uh, it, it wasn't the final thing. That actually, you know, points forward uh, to, and in fact, everything, there, including a lot of the things that happen. So, for example, the promised land becomes a prefigurement of something beyond itself. Great way to, yep. you know, th- this is another, because it's not just, I mean, I know that seems obvious from mm. the, the temple system, but even in, in Hebrews, the, the land doesn't really have, uh, um, in itself, it doesn't have value except as a stepping stone towards something greater. You know, it's a prefigurement. Okay. The entering into the promised land, you know, uh, becomes a prefigurement of something else. And all of these things, I mean, this is, the reason why this is important is because we can go back to these Old Testament concerns about, you know, the rebuilding of the temple or the land of Israel or... Sacrifices. Or, and it's all about, you know, it's it's all about the land of... of you know of Israel, and that, and actually, the writer of Hebrews wants the wants us to look beyond that to the things that were prefigured by this. It's not, um, you know, in in Old Testament times, it was about inheriting the land. For Jesus, it's about inheriting the earth. You know, <laughs> it, and and even beyond that, it's about a new heavens and a new earth. Well, the, these are the kinds of uh, things that you see coming through in Hebrews. Let's take a break. We'll be back in in just a moment and we'll actually get into this first part of the book of Hebrews on Thrive Deeper. It's DJ here and... uh, I get told quite often how lucky or how blessed I am to have this uh, this position on this podcast, to be able to sit down in person with Matt Jacoby and be able to get firsthand some of his knowledge, his wisdom, and uh, you know receive the blessing of a uh, of a dear friend who has devoted his life to reading and studying scripture. And we get to all experience that with a Thrive Daily Reading Guide. 
And I know how much I get the emails. I see you in the streets. I see you at churches. And I hear from you on my radio show how much the Thrive Daily Reading Guide means to you. Well, if it means a lot, then we would love you to help us spread the message that is the Thrive Daily Reading Guide. We'd love you to be our advertisement. We would love you to be our cheer squad, our champions for the Thrive Daily Reading Guide. And it's really simple to do. All you need to do is head over to thrivetoday.net.au. On the upper right-hand side there, you'll see a little image of a, of a little wooden stand with a Thrive Guide on it. And what you can do is we can send you a church pack for you to give out to your group, your church, your small group, whatever that might be. We want to help facilitate you to spread the great message that is the Thrive Daily Reading Guide. It's really simple to do and we can use all the help we can get. So please play your part. If you love what we do and you love the Thrives that you get, help us spread the message. Like I said, just head over to thrivetoday.net.au. Look for the church program there of getting the Thrives out, but it doesn't just have to be for your church. It could be for your group, for your small group, for anything else. It might even be for your workplace. Uh, let us know how we can help you. Contact us through that on our website, thrivetoday.net.au. Okay, that's enough from me. Let's take a break and we'll get back into the book of Hebrews with Matthew Jacoby on Thrive Deeper. Thrive Deeper. It's DJ here with you with Matt Jacoby, as always. And uh, we're setting up the book of Hebrews. Matt, let, let's let's state this. The writer of Hebrews has two uh, goals, you know, main goals that come, come, come across mm. here. Maybe the main themes here. That is, number one, that Jesus is superior yep. to, to everything. Yep. And secondly, it's also there's also an, quite a lot of challenging the reader to not give up. Yeah, to not go back and, and even more. It's like going, uh, saying, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're in, I mean, you use the example of, go, um, well, we developed the idea of difference between a map of a place and going to a place. It's like having come to the actual place, why go back and just go back to studying the map? You know, yes. like uh, still still have the map with you, but yeah. we're, we're in the real place now. And, and so he's trying to, prove the superiority of what has just happened, like to get through to them, that we have entered this time of fulfillment, that Jesus Christ is absolutely superior Amen. to all of the figures in the Old Testament, you know, in as much as um, it's like that type to anti-type. He yes. is the anti-type to all of the things that were just types, just yeah. prefigurements, yeah. and he is the reality. And the, the way that he's going to begin, he's going to do this inductively, uh, and he's going to first of all show that Jesus is superior to the angels. So yes. he's going to work on this step by step. Now we think, what, what, what what's so uh, what's so important about that? Um, well, it's underscored by the significance in throughout the Bible of angels as messengers of God. Yeah. Um, so wherever important things happen throughout the Old Testament story. In fact, we even see this in the Gospels. Angels are present delivering yeah. this message. Yes. So it's important uh, for the writer of Hebrews to say, Jesus isn't just like another angel. Yeah. You know, uh, just bringing God's message. It's it's not just more of that. No, this is something entirely different. So it's he's contrasting. That's that's exactly it. And he, and he outlays this right at the beginning, like right in those first couple of verses, we get that fantastic verse that you just read. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors in different ways. Yeah. And now he has spoken to us through the most superior way, yeah. the Son. Yeah. So he's going to now flesh out most of the book is going to be telling us about those different ways. Yeah. And four big groups, like you say, he starts yeah. off with the angels. He moves on to Moses and the promised land, yeah. that, that narrative there. Yeah. He then talks about the priests with this side story of Melchizedek and how yeah. Jesus is yeah. superior to that. And then he talks about the sacrifice system yeah. and how Jesus is That's superior right. to that. So he's actually going to outlay these different ways how God yeah. has spoken to the ancestors. And in all of that, Jesus is superior. And on the back of that, Jesus is superior, comes a warning yeah. about about these stories. That's right. And that's the pattern pretty much in the that's next the four yeah. four big big sections yeah. of the book. So the first one 
sort of starts at the top, goes to angels. Yeah. yeah. And how Jesus is superior to this. And so he he uses these texts, you know, in chapter 1, for for to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Mm. Um, Or again, I will will be to him a father and he to me a son. Now, um, the... uh, Again, I don't think I'll get into. I've I've already said about his about how his use of the texts here. I mean, the uh, I will be his father; he will be to me his son. Of course, is the Davidic covenant in Second Samuel chapter seven, which is originally said of David, but this is this idea that David is a prefigurement of Christ. Yes. Uh, so he so the writer of Hebrews, because so, one might say, well, when. God said to David, I will be to him a father and he will be to to a son. You know, he's talking about David's descendants. It's not a prediction necessarily of uh, of the Messiah. Yes. No, that's right, but it's a prefigurement. The the Davidic dynasty prefigures this idea of the son of David becomes a prefigurement of the of the Messiah. So okay, that's great. why that's important. Okay. Anyway, so he's saying, so this sense of sonship, you know, and it says, and again, when he brings the firstborn into the world. Uh, he says, let all the angels of God worship him. Uh, he says, he makes his angels winds. Now, the interesting thing there in verse 7 is that he refers to the of what God says to the angels or about the angels, that he makes his angels winds and his ministers flames of fire. There's a contrast there between the son who is begotten mm-hmm. and the angels who are made. Yep. Important little theological distinction there, Definitely. because this is going to become important for later church history when, when, um, when the early theologians of the church can understand, try to understand what is the what is the distinct uh, thing about Jesus as opposed to all other, uh, even angels, for yes. example. Yes. Um, and the distinct difference is that Christ is not created; he is uncreated; he is begotten. Mm. Um, now, interestingly, the word begotten is it's an important idea. It's this idea of um, Jesus' eternal sonship. So there's not a time where Jesus comes into being. It's Mm. this eternal uh, relationship, whereas angels are made at some uh, particular point. Um, It's more more of a relationship between those two people in the Godhead that there, you know, there is a role of God the Father and the role of the begotten, the role of the Son. Yeah. You know, without a start, yeah. You know, it's a, it's a very hard for us creatures of time to contemplate yeah. a creature outside of yeah. time. That's right. Yeah, I, I think this gets missed in the NIV, which says, "Today I have become your father." I think that the I know the word "begotten" is an, a bit of an archaic yes. sort of word, but we just we we need we need a term like that there because of what it does uh, in that context. Anyway, so he goes through the chapter. He's saying. Um, uh, he's applying a whole lot of texts, mostly in that um, prefigurement text that he sees as prefiguring yes. uh, Christ, uh, and he is using them to make this point that Christ is much superior to the angels. The final one is in verse thirteen. Interestingly, there are seven. There are seven quotations yes, here. Of course, of course. <laughs> uh, there has to be the seven uh, texts that he used. The, the, the seventh is, and, and he says, and to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. And he says, are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? Mm. Um, so, uh, you know, angels are these ministering spirits, these spiritual beings who uh, carry messengers. The word angelos in Greek is the same as the word messenger. Uh, they are messengers of divine revelation, divine grace. But Jesus is the very embodiment of the word mm. and the very embodiment of that divine grace, not yeah. just a messenger. And so that's the point um, that he's making there. He, he also, in those first couple of chapters, he's tying up, I mean, he's talking a lot about the preeminence of Christ as he is yeah. all the way through, but he's also tying up this concept of the roles of angels you know, in God's in, in in you know God's design, but he's also sort of there's this there's this combination of of the role of the angels and tying that into the actual gift of the commandments or the Torah, God's yeah. word, yeah. Uh, which 
is sort of weird to us. We don't think when we think of the Old Testament, especially the first five books of the Old yeah. Testament, we don't immediately tie that into our minds about the role of angels. Yeah. But there's a lot of Jewish tradition and belief yeah. and stuff in the Bible about how, you know, again, like you say, yeah. when God was doing something, especially something yeah. new, yeah. there was an angelic presence a lot of the yeah. times through it. So that was very present in the in the Jewish yeah, that's way of right. thinking. And it it seems to have become more and more prominent, the role uh, the, the the sort of Jewish estimation of, of angels. I mean, I think this comes through a little in the book of Colossians where there appears to be this kind of Jewish mysticism yes. that um, sees angels almost have, as having this mediatorial role that puts far more emphasis on angels great than there use should of that be. Wo- great use of that word mediator because yeah. this is going to come into yeah. play a lot That's about right. the role of Jesus yeah. in the book of Hebrews. And, and so... So the writer of Hebrews is going to go on and say, no, no, then there is only one mediator really, yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and that is Jesus. And, and, and that's important. You know, angels are messengers of God's word. Yes. Jesus is God's word. So, um, yeah. again, it's, it's, this is a book of contrasts. Yes. It's going to contrast Jesus to the angels. It's going to contrast uh, Moses and Christ. It's going to contrast, yep. you know, there's going to All be these the contrasts. priesthood and, yes. and Jesus' priesthood and so forth. So the first one is the angels. And the other concept there, I can't remember where I read this, is that there was a Jewish belief that when when God gave the law to Abraham, he did it basically at the hands of angels or angels yes. delivered it. So when you think of the Jewish mindset yep. of actual God's law, those stones were given yeah. to Moses by angels, yeah. this makes a lot more sense about what he's going to talk about yeah. Christ giving us the yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So in a sense, in when we move into Hebrews 2, what he wants to highlight here, because and, and you you get the first of the warning passages. Yeah. I mean, these are interesting. Uh these are these punctuate the book of Hebrews throughout. Mm. You have these these exhortations, and they seem to get more and more potent, don't oh. they, as you go as as you go through. I think in terms of the warnings, we'll f- the, the the, the strongest one is probably in chapter 6, and I think we'll focus on that one when we get to that. Um, but, it, you know, he says in at the beginning of Hebrews ch- chapter 2, we need to pay closer attention to Jesus. He's not just an optional, uh, you know, an optional extra, you know, op- that perhaps we can add in. L- let's just... Let's just Focus back on Moses, and as though he's some, somehow just on a par with Moses, and we yeah. can sort of opt to focus on Moses, and because this identification with Jesus is causing his problems. So, no, no, he says no. It's it's not an option. Actually, Jesus is central to what God is. This new thing that God has done. So he's underscoring this, and so um, in a sense, he's asking answering the question, why should we listen to Jesus? Yep. You know, why should we? And and the answer is that he is absolutely central in God's plan. Yep. And um, and he goes on to talk about Jesus' solidarity uh, with mankind um, and and the significance of, of what he did. Now, as we move into um, chapter 3, hmm. um, this is the real, this is the Moses passages yeah, he, here. He, he's going to emphasize the fact that Jesus is not only a prophet like Moses, because, you know, in the Jewish mind, Moses is the ultimate prophet, really. Um, They see themselves, I mean, they are the people of Abraham in the kind of um, genealogical sense. That's what makes them Jewish people. But in terms of their, you know, who are they following? Well, they're followers of Moses, really. And so the writer's going to show that Jesus is greater even than Moses. And um, he uses this idea of Moses um, was a servant of God's house, whereas Jesus is the son of the house. This yeah. is the, the way that he describes this. Not only is he the son of the house, but also the builder of the house. Uh, Jesus is not only the son of the house, but the builder of the house. So, so that's the, the way that he illustrates that. And of course, Moses is the builder of God's house in a couple of senses. Mm. This is where you get the figurative... Uh, thing again, he is the builder of God's tabernacle, uh, and that's seen as God's house in that sense. But it was also understood that the people, the covenant people, were always referred to as the house of Israel, hmm. and of course that in itself then becomes a prefigurement of um, of the covenant people broadly that we are actually the temple 
oh, the tabernacle of God. So deep in this, yeah. and the way that he just flips this, the the analogy, like talking about it as you know, he is the son of the house, and and by the way, you are the house. Yeah. At first reading, when we read this as a young Christian, we're like, man, this is confusing. But as we go in and read and read and read, I think these words, yeah. this is something that what yeah. I love about the book of Hebrews, it begins to gestate in your life yeah. and you begin to appreciate this because it is dense yeah. as, as he goes through. That's right. So having having made this point um, as to why Jesus is greater than Moses, and, and it's hard to overstate that, you know, that difference, the difference between just a servant of the house as, and being a son of the house. No, he's not. He's not denigrating Moses as a child of God. No, he's just trying to make setting a up point Jesus of contrast. Yeah. yeah, he's using an illustration here. Yes, um, to to point out this contrast. Then we get the next another warning again, and this is in this one he draws on Psalm ninety five. Um, now Psalm ninety five uh, is a is a call to worship, uh, one that was very well known. Uh, to the Jewish people, mm-hmm. a lot of the the what he quotes from it's mostly Psalms that he quotes from mm-hmm. um, the writer of Hebrews. He's quoting from them in the understanding that most people know these songs. It's like quoting from, yeah, you know, if if I said you know you you call me out upon the waters, oh yeah, yeah. That's what about a thousand times, you know, it's like you know, um, well they knew the, these lines yeah. so well and yeah. they knew and the I lo- and I love the fact that they they're songs from. because like you've just said there. When you quote a line of a song, yeah. you know, you, like for a Beatles fan, you go, oh, you know the song Hey Jude, and, and immediately yeah. in your mind you've played the, the entire the song, song. Yeah, is right. there in your mind yeah. or whatever your favourite artist is, yeah. whatever whoever it is, you know, if it's a Hill song, you know, whatever. <clears throat> the concept <clears throat> of him quoting a line or two of a psalm, yeah. immediately the Jewish listener, the Hebrew listener is going to have the entire yeah. context yeah. in their mind. Th- th- this is why the psalms are... The, the most quoted from book, you know, I mean, the, the Psalms and Isaiah really uh, are up there, uh, but it's because it's because they know that, you know, he's yeah. quoting from something that they're familiar with. Now, I mean, they would have certainly have been Psalm ninety five was um, important in the in the Jewish liturgies, and so they would have known this Psalm very well. And it's a Psalm that alludes to the experience of the Israelites in the desert, of course, mm-hmm. uh, under Moses initially um, in Numbers fourteen. That you know that rebellion. Uh, where they refuse to go into the into the land, um, you know, Numbers 13, 14, where, where there is this uh, refusal really to a- acknowledge that God is in the midst of them. This is actually the, the essence of what went wrong in the desert with the Israelites under Moses is that Moses wanted to lead them into the promised land. And this is important because for the writer of Hebrews, this is all prefiguring something. Yes. Okay. Moses wants to lead them into their rest. Okay. Now their their rest is the place where they are going to uh, rest in their role as God's people. It's the realization of of their you know their God given destiny or however you want to put that. Um, and uh, but they're not acknowledging that God is really. In their midst, you know that they're just—they're not willing, or at least they're not willing to acknowledge and listen to God, uh, who is in their midst. And so the um, the writer of Hebrews uses this as a prefigurement. So he's basically saying we're in the same situation mm. as them, and we are in danger of being exactly like them. Now, this is a really well-known story mm. throughout the Psalms. It's the classic sort of scenario of what. Unbelief is. Yeah. It's the very thing that God deplores most is represented uh, by that generation. It's referred back to again and again and again, that experience uh, of the Israelites in the desert yep. not listening to God. Yep. And so he uses the it's, same. It's one of the most crucial touchstones or, or turning points yeah. in the whole Old Testament. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it is. It's crucial. And, and it was rehearsed. By Jewish people in the psalm, there was num- there because there are a number of psalms yes. that talk about that time, yep. and it was just so well known. It's the ultimate example of rebellion. Yeah, and he's saying, you by going back to your Jewish faith, yes, you are actually in danger of doing this. Yep. This is what you are, you are on the cusp of doing this very thing, and by doing that, you could well miss out on entering. The promised land, just like 
those people didn't enter the promised land. Wow. So it's a really uh, solemn warning. Yeah. Um, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as he says. So, and th- and this brings in the concept, you know, of of you know, Christ and our relationship with Him and the relationship God is calling us into, as yeah. the ultimate fulfillment of the promised land of. The rest, yeah, you know, of if God calling him, in, calling us, calling the Jews into the promised land to rest in yeah. Him. It, well, this is the ultimate fulfillment of this, and and he, he has to make this point. One of the points that he has to make here, and this is interesting, he has to make the point that there remains a rest still to come yes. for God's people. Yeah. Now, of course, uh, you know, the Jewish people in the sixties, and particularly moving towards the end of the sixties up to um, AD seventy is that they are in the height of nationalism. Yes. It's all about the land. It's all about the land securing Mm. the land. Mm. Now, the writer of Hebrews is speaking powerfully to that agenda because he's saying, no, no, this isn't the ultimate. Mm. This isn't the ultimate rest. There remains a rest for the people of God. And Psalm 95 is useful in this sense because Psalm 95 is written by people who are already in the land. Right. And it's saying... To a people who are in the land, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, uh, otherwise you'll not enter enter mm. his rest. Mm. And, you know, Jewish, he points out that the writer of the psalm wouldn't do that <laughs> yeah. if you were already at yeah. your destination. Yes. So, okay, so this means that the promised land is- actually isn't the <laughs> ultimate destination, that yeah. there still remains a rest for God's people. This is a really important argument here. Mm. Uh, for these people, because they they are going to go back to being part of this Jewish community that's all about the land and all about, and and he's saying no, that perspective is entirely inadequate because um, there remains a rest. That's just a prefigurement. The land is just a prefigurement of the greater rest for the people of God, yeah. and he's saying you're in danger of not entering that that rest. So so the this argument that there remains a rest for the people of God. And he goes into this and it's kind of hard to um, sometimes to grasp his argument if you don't kind of get that background. Mm-hmm. So, for yes. example, um, he talks about, he, he draws from the fact that God rested on the seventh day. So the rest, there's this, this the seventh day of creation represents for the writer of Hebrews this ultimate state of heavenly rest. And he's saying that's the ultimate destination. We're actually entering into that, to enter into that state of rest with God. Yes. So already from the beginning, he's pointing out there was this higher goal than just living in the land. Yeah. That we were made to actually join God in this original Edenic state, state of Eden. Yeah. Yeah. and that is still to come. And, there, and there's so much in that. And we've got to wrap up this, this episode as we finish chapter four. There's so much in that. And it's that common Christian mm. way of thinking. Or I don't even say Christian. I want to say that God way of thinking that we've touched on time and time again, especially when yeah. it comes to looking to end times things or yeah. future things, that we have entered it now. But we have yet to fully enter it. Yeah, like it, right. we're, we're in that stage. So I love it in chapter four. And this is a theme that I personally love about the book of Hebrews. And I think we get the first hint of it here uh, in, in Hebrews chapter four, where he says, you know, in his warnings, like strive to enter this rest, mm. do not fall away. And in light of striving to enter the rest, he brings up the word of God. The word of God is living and powerful, yeah. sharper than any two-edged sword. It's going to cut you in, you know, it's going to cut your thoughts yeah. and the intentions. And this is the first little seed of a concept that I love in the book of Hebrews yeah. that the Hebrews writer is saying, and we've mentioned it many times in the Gospel of Matthew. Yeah, leave those expectations behind. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. You've really got to come to God. Yeah. and believe what he is telling you, what yeah. he's telling you about yourself. Yeah. And if you open yourself to God's yeah. word, really. Oh, it's going yeah. to cut you. Yeah, it's going right. to cut you in a way yeah. that you've never been cut before. Yeah. And then he finishes, I love that concept, then he finishes with that beautiful passage at the end of chapter 4 about Jesus being the high priest that has suffered mm. like us. And the other reason why he's superior, because he's gone through what he, we've gone through. Yeah. And this, I think, leads us into something, and, and perhaps we'll talk about this in the next uh, episode, because this really opens up yes. the next major the, part of, yeah. of the argument. 
Um, he's talked about Jesus is superior to the angels, Jesus is superior to Moses, and now he's going to talk about the priesthood of Jesus oh. as being a superior priesthood. Yeah. And it's really quite profound yeah. uh, where this goes. Awesome. Well, uh, you've got until next week. We're going to continue in to Chapter 5. So you've got this week to have a look at the priesthood, do a little bit of research about that. And uh, thank you once again for listening to Thrive Deeper. We're ending in a very different way this week, Matt. Usually I try to fade up the music while you're giving us some sort of expanded wisdom. Have you got anything you want to drop in here at the end? Well, um, I'm interested by the fact that it talks about striving to enter that rest. We don't... We, you know that this is not striving to earn something, but it nevertheless this calls for vigilance. It's not just a passive state, and I think it reminds me that there are things that we need to go. We're on a journey, and we need to walk forwards. Ah. Uh. Can you tell that I am almost ready to start a whole entire spin-off podcast just about the book of Hebrews? It's my uh, secret fantasy there. I uh, I could spend <laughs> a long time talking about this amazing book and I hope you're finding it as enriching as I am. I just, I love this book so much and uh, I know, I know, controversial. I've got a favorite book of the Bible. Listen, if you want to write to me and let me know how I'm wrong, you can do that easily. Head over to thrivetoday.net.au. You'll find all the links to connect with us, whether it's on Facebook, through our page or our group, or whether it's directly with an email, you can do that all at thrivetoday.net.au. And make sure while you're there, check out the church program. That's on the right-hand side. You'll see a way to contact us. And you'll also see a way that you can put your hand up and say, hey, I would love to get Thrives out to my group. Until next week, it's DJ here on Thrive Deeper. Thanks for listening to another episode of Thrive Deeper. Matthew and DJ would love to hear your questions and comments about what you were reading in God's Word and in Thrive. The easiest way to do that is to head over to thrivetoday.net.au. Thrive Deeper is on Facebook. Just search and like Thrive Today page for all our latest news. Until next week, our prayer is that this podcast will inspire you to read God's word and thrive.